Before I get uh, forget, I want to call attention to Brad and Barb because they've been uh, with us now these months from uh, Georgia and are headed back onto the road. We don't know exactly when or where, but this will be your last Sunday for a bit. Leaving Saturday. Well, we want you to come back and plant again, but you know how it is. <laughs> Brad and Barb were part of our congregation years and years ago and have been gone for nine years, nine years, and now back with us for a season. And, and, and we're going to talk about that today, how the family of God is just like that. You know, you're, you're permanently family, even if you're not around each other. And uh, God joins us together in that. If you've got your hand out with you, uh, take the uh, insert out of it that says First uh, John on it. And we're going to spend some time talking about real life. In fact, there's an insert that looks like this inside there that has the sermon notes on it and a chance for us to study together uh, one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite books. Uh, Terry just asked me, okay, so what isn't your favorite passage in the scriptures? <laughs> that might be easier to define. And, you know, there really are none, but uh, uh, God's given us a powerful book to dive into. We've been spending time thinking about the chosen. We've been thinking about the face-to-face -face encounters with Jesus and um, the people that Jesus called to himself. Uh, and? Could I ask you to stand up for a minute? I, I just noticed her shirt, Mark. Get used to different. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Our brother Mark a week or two ago did a phenomenal uh, message just on that, that thing. Get used to The words of Jesus in The Chosen, get used to different. And uh, as we think about one of his disciples, we're going in depth now. We're going in depth now at the Apostle John and looking at the letter that he wrote to all believers, but he wrote back in biblical times and shows us the face, the heart, the ministry of Jesus Christ and how we can uh, be followers. In fact, I've called this one today, It's Real or Real Life, Real Life. You know, there's a lot of things that are fake out there. You got fake news. You got all kinds of fake things going on. But uh, what's real, what's real in life is what we're going to discuss, what we're going to talk about and spend time with. If you got your Bibles, you can follow along. If you want to follow in your handout, you can do that. If you have a different device, it always works to look up First John, not John, the gospel, but First John chapter 1 and the first four verses. I mean, John just jumps right in. He doesn't waste any time on a salutation and greetings, and he just jumps into who Jesus is and what he's about and how it affects us, how it affects us when it comes to life. But listen to this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have handled and touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your, our joy complete. 
Give us bow in prayer for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of scripture. Would you open our minds and our hearts to understand it in new and dynamic ways today? Would you show us how it relates to, to us in our lives? Bring that forward, Lord, as uh, we clear our minds and hearts for you to operate through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I mentioned the author here is uh, John. Remember John's nickname he gives himself in uh, his own writing of the gospel? He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't think it's an act of arrogance, like he loved me and he didn't love you. It was just he was so impacted by the power of Jesus' love for him that he couldn't just say a follower of Jesus. He had to say uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was amazed, like we should all be amazed, that God would love a sinner like me. John, who had all kinds of reasons to not be loved, Jesus poured on his love. And so he adopted that nickname for himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus called him at one time, do you remember this? One of the Bonergies. It's the word for sons of thunder. <laughs> he and his brother had uh, times where he'd come to Jesus and say, could we be on your right and could we be on your left? In fact, they got their mom involved and said, mom, come tell him to put us on the right hand and the left hand. And Jesus is like, are you sure you want to be on the right hand and the left hand? There's a thief on this side on the cross and another thief on this side on the cross. Are you sure you want to be there? No. But he was the disciple whom Jesus loved, the sons of Zebedee. He and his brother owned a fishing business with their father, Zebedee. And when Jesus called them into ministry, when Jesus called them to be followers, they left their nets. And he was one of those that Jesus said to, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You're going to catch men alive, he said. You're going to cast a broad net and everybody is invited to this kingdom. There is no one left out of the scope, the desire, the plan of Jesus Christ. He wants every person to be netted in. And brought to Jesus. And so John became one of those sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee and beloved ones. I want to think with you about uh, the books that he wrote. He actually wrote three distinct types of books. He wrote the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, (laughs) you know, the fourth gospel. And it's so different from the other three gospels. The other three gospels we call synoptic because they are very, very similar. But John sticks out in its entirety. It is not like the other three at all. And it was really written to convert sinners to Jesus. He's the one who tells us John 3, 16, one of our favorite verses to help people understand, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. It deals with salvation. I say he uh, talks about being saved from the penalty of sin. Okay? Now, the book we're studying today, the book we're starting for this spring, is one of the epistles or the letters from John. There are actually three. The other two are really short. First, second, and third John. In 1 John, five chapters long, he confirms the saints. So you've got converting sinners 
and you got confirming the same. So this is written to us. All of you that would be sitting here today saying, I'm a believer, I've been saved by grace, he's writing to you, he's writing to me. He's not writing to convince you of Jesus' status, but he's trying to confirm, to confirm who you are in him and to uh, be saved from sin's power. We're gonna talk a lot about sin. We're gonna talk a lot about victory over sin. We're gonna talk about how to have victory over sin and how to live a Christ-like, Christ-appealing life. We are saved from sin, its penalty, and its power. Now, there's one other book that's after 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You know what it is? The book of Revelation. Some would say the Revelation to John, but it's really the Revelation of Jesus, okay? Here's how it goes. The Revelation of John is to coronate the Savior. It's to talk about the kingdom, the kinghood, the kingship of Jesus. And so you've got... uh, Converting, confirming, and coronating, all kind of in a row there. And some would say it's about glorification from sin's presence, from sin's presence in our lives. So you've got the penalty being dealt with, being power over sin, and even the obliteration of sin. Can you imagine heaven with no sin, no sorrow, no sickness, no grief? Can you imagine a place where he is calling us to dwell with him eternally? That's the place you were really made for. You weren't made for the earthly existence alone where sin can dominate and disease is a part of of life. Instead, we get to be apart from that. Here's the purpose listed in John 20, verse 31. He says, these are written, what's written here, that you may believe, underline that, Underline that. They're written so that you will have trust, faith, just like Brooklyn this morning, just like William last week, just like Danny a couple weeks ago, to have faith in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. That's what we're really talking about, folks. We're talking about life around here. You know, you might think of religion as dead, and it is. But life in Jesus Christ is far from dead. It has everything to do with life itself. True life, the essence of life, real life, as I call it today. So let's examine this uh, in more depth here. And we're going to just tear that section of four verses apart. Here's what I want you to start with. Write this down. Examine the word of life. Examine the word of life. John chapter one, verses one and 14, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You go to 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory like that of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and full of truth. Yeah, that's the word of life. And in this section, verses one and two, he really talks about examining that. What does it take to get into an understanding of the life that is in the word? Let's tear it apart in this kind of a, this kind of a way. Thinking about beginnings for a minute. You know what it says in Genesis 1-1, right? In the, it's not a baseball term, Ryan. You know, in the big inning. No, in the beginning. (laughs) 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who was there in the beginning? According to Colossians, it says Jesus himself was the creator and the holder, the sustainer of everything in creation, of all creation. Mark chapter 1 talks about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, it's the beginning of the good news. Our teenagers have been studying, haven't they, Donnie? The good news, the gospel. If you get a chance, ask one of the teenagers, what's the gospel? It's the good news. The beginning of the good news was on the birth of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. In a nutshell, that's the gospel. Why is that the gospel? Because it's through Jesus' life, through his death and his resurrection, that we have life itself. It's through his life that we know what good news is all about. We respond to that. The gospel is good news. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The God who was before. In fact, that's the word we're gonna talk about even more here. And John 1, 1, the one we're in now, the beginning of the incarnate son and the message about him, okay? All of these beginnings, he's starting us out to talk about these marvelous beginnings. Now, we're going to talk about the nature of Jesus for a minute because it comes up. It starts off by saying, from the beginning. I call it eternal deity or divinity. Deity is a good word. It means God. He is the God-man. Jesus Christ is both God and man at the same time. He's 100% God and he's 100% human. No one else has ever been that. No one else will ever be that. But Jesus Christ was the God man. Let's talk about his God because it comes up in one phrase. From the beginning. It equates him with the creator from Genesis chapter one, verse one. It equates him with the beginning in John chapter one, verse one. He was before the beginning. He was in the beginning. He was from the beginning. That's the verse we're using here. And he was and will be after (laughs) the beginning. Are you catching that? He is pervasive in the beginning. He is the creator and the sustainer of life. Colossians says, nothing was made that he didn't make. Nothing was made on this planet, in this world, that he did not superintend and make, or it says, without him. And he is in and over all. You know, if Revelation chapter 10, verse 6 is true, one version says, time shall be no more. He created time. He created space, and then he stepped into the time and space he created. He created time, and one day, are you happy about this? Time (laughs) shall be no more. (laughs) Yeah. 
One, one version says, um, there will be no more delay. I like that. You know, this life is full of delays. There's going to be a day, and heaven is, is what he's talking about, when not only time shall be no more, but there'll be mo no more delays. Some of you husbands who wait a lot for your wives, <laughs> there'll be no more delays. Some of you wives who wait a lot for your husbands, I got to be fair here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be no more delays, okay? Think about it for a minute. Jesus Christ created time before that I mean, it's hard for us to even use the, to understand it because we use the term like before. What was before time? Well, there's got to be time to use the word before, okay? Oh, now I'm really puzzling people there. Uh, it is hard for us to think outside the time-space continuum. It's almost impossible for us to even wrap our minds around something that's out there that's different than that. But the reality is time and space are going to be done, it will not be the same existence that we have today. That's why when it says he is from the beginning, it's not just he originates from the beginning. He, he is, in essence, who created that from the beginning of the gospels, from the beginning of creation, from the beginning of time. In our way of keeping time, he was from the beginning. But in a way, he was way before that. And he'll be after the beginning. Jesus liked to, to, to use uh, the phrase, I am. You know, he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He used a lot of I am's. But in terms of time, this is one of the most powerful ones, he identified with the way God identified. When Moses said, who do I say is sending me when we go to Pharaoh? When I go down to Egypt, who do I say is sending me? The great I am. The name for God is I am, okay? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, and he said it, I am, I am. He so identified with that kind of timelessness, that time of pre-existence, he said, before Abraham even was, I am. See, the Jews were so stuck on Abraham being the beginning of their history, the beginning of their uh, faith walk, and he goes beyond that to the God who is in the beginning. So it is eternal deity. Remember last week, Thomas bowing down and saying, my Lord and my God. Numerous times, when the sea was calmed and they said, truly, this is the son of God. Truly, the, 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 the man who nailed the spikes into Jesus' hands said, truly, this is the son of God. And they declared his deity. Let's switch, because that's just one phrase. Let's switch to the second part of that. This is where he says it's not only deity, he's not only divine, he is human as well as divine. He is both God and man. So I say it this way. It's historically human. Historical humanity. Because he's saying, we have heard, we have seen, we have touched, and we proclaim. Let's tear that apart a little bit. They heard with their ears. Of course you hear with your ears. You can't hear otherwise, right? Well, what does that mean? 
the apostle John and all those who were following at the time heard Jesus deliver the love of God in his messages. They heard him teach. In fact, what did they say about his teaching? Never before had a man ever preached like he preached. The men in the temple were amazed at how he said things and how he drew God's love out of it. He was heard because they heard the heart of God. That's what he's pointing out here. We, we heard him. Aren't you glad God uses words? <laughs> no, we're gonna talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. But I mean, the way you know someone's mind and heart is because they translate that into words. Honey, I love you. How do you know that? I mean, you can know by behavior and action, but to address it in words. God uses human language. God used words for their ears to hear who Jesus was, and he preached like no one else. Remember him at the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing? No? Think of those words for a minute. His words convey his heart, God's heart. They saw him with their eyes. Again, you're saying probably, of course they saw him with their eyes. You know, some people say seeing is believing. And Jesus even said to Thomas, more blessed are those who don't see and yet have faith and yet believe. What did they see? Miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw the water turn to wine. They saw the storm stilled. They saw 5,000 men fed, not counting the women and children, with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. 36 miracles are detailed in the scriptures. And then you know what it says? <laughs> it says, there's so many that we can't even write them all down. They just detailed 36 of them. Okay? What did they see with their eyes? They saw things so amazing they could not not believe. They could not withhold their faith. We saw with our eyes Jesus walking on the water. In fact, one, version, one verse says, Jesus healed all the sick people that day. Could you imagine Jesus walking into Olympia and every hospital being emptied out? Yeah, he healed all the sick people in one day. <laughs> Just uh, amazing. In fact, um, can I think with you a minute about the eyewitnesses? I don't know if you remember, but uh, Lee Strobel, we talked about last week, saw four things that kind of led him from being an atheist to being a Christian. And the, one of the biggest ones starts with an E because Easter starts with an E, is eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. Say that. Eyewitnesses. The, the gospel rests because we don't get to see his hands inside, but we believe the eyewitnesses who did. Everything hangs on the eyewitnesses. Oh, in uh, Acts chapter two, when they realized that Judas had gone out and hung himself and they were 11 apostles instead of 12. They said, we, we need to take somebody, we need to bring somebody in to take his place so that there's 12 of us again. Here's what they said. We need to find someone who was with us all the time and was eyewitness from the baptism of John, baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River, all the way to the ascension of Jesus. And they picked out two guys 
who had witnessed everything. Two guys that were eyewitnesses. And then they said, well, maybe we shouldn't choose. Let's let God. So they began praying about it. And the Holy Spirit showed them it's Matthias. Matthias was chosen because he was an eyewitness. Say that again. Eyewitness. He witnessed the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. And he witnessed all the miracles. He witnessed the resurrection. And he even witnessed the ascension of Jesus. What did the Apostle Paul say? The Apostle Paul said he began to describe all the people who saw Jesus post-resurrection. And he said, at one time, more than 500. And he said, they're alive today. They're still with us. You can go ask them. I mean, if it was not true, you can believe me. They would have said, falsehood, fake news. But instead, they confirmed what the apostle said. The apostle said, Apostle Paul said, and as one untimely born, he even appeared to me. He was amazed that he got to be an eyewitness. John, uh, Acts chapter two says, raised up before God to which we are all witnesses. Witnesses. Acts chapter three, verse 15, it says, we are all witnesses of these events. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20, it says, we can't help but speak of what we have seen and heard. We're witnesses with the senses of this. That's where our faith lies. Our faith lies through and in the eyewitnesses. We believe in Jesus Christ through the testimony, the witnesses of the events that took place. These were witnesses, it says, chosen by the hand of God beforehand. Uh, Acts, the book of Acts is just filled with this powerful sense of the eyewitnesses. Here's how 1 Peter puts it. 1 Peter, he says, we're not following cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we, Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his glory. And we heard the voice of God, you know, several times at the baptism of Jesus and at the transfiguration, the skies opened up and they heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Hear what he says. Do what he says. Follow him. Yeah. He, he says, we saw his glory, the glorification, and we heard the voice of the heavenly father. So that's what he's getting at when he says, we heard with our ears, we saw with our eyes. I mean, we're talking about powerful eyewitnesses here that transform things. And it also says they touched him with their hands. And we're not just talking about the post-resurrection touching because it appears that he offered himself to be touched and they refused. <laughs> they didn't take him up on it. We don't really know. There's no indication that they actually touched his wounds, but throughout his life. Can you imagine Mary holding the baby? Can you imagine at 12 years old watching this young lad named Jesus? Can you imagine Jesus offering them bread and communion? Can you imagine the physical touching of the master's hand? It's the same word touch that's used in Luke 24 when Jesus says, touch me. Feel free to touch me. 
What we're talking about here is more than just the bodily resurrection, but it is the bodily resurrection. We're not talking about a figment of your imagination. This is not a vision. Well, he just spiritually rose from the dead. No, he literally, physically, humanly rose from the dead and they touched him with their hands. One more thing it says is they proclaimed him. They testified to him. They shared him with their mouths. The word proclaim or the word declare. They gave verbal testimony. You know, if a witness sees a crime, they're only really good for the case if they get on the stand and testify, declare, proclaim. If they just have it in their head and know it upstairs, it's no good for the case. But these witnesses declared it. That's why we've got this book of 1 John. That's why we've got the New Testament in our hands. Because the gospel is to be declared. The gospel is to be shared. It's historically validated as well as spiritually manifested. Jesus was not just a man, but he was human. He wasn't just a man, but he was a man. They could hear, see, touch, and proclaim him. That's his humanity. You know, one of the words is, uh, King James word, manifest. He is manifested. He appeared and it was made clear. The word manifest means clearly revealed. I mean, God was made clear to us through the person of Jesus. If you ever wonder what God would look like if he was living on earth like we are, you can look at Jesus and say, I know exactly what God would look like. He was made clear. He was manifested. He was brought to clarity. He was not hidden at all or whatsoever. Besides being explored, let's think about him being expounded. It has, digs a little deeper into that idea of proclaiming him, declaring him. When John 1, 1 says, the word was with God, it says, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Let's tear this apart in a couple of ways. With Jesus, we have faith. Our faith is based on those eyewitnesses of Jesus's life, of Jesus's death, of Jesus's burial, and of Jesus's resurrection. Remember, uh, you know, Nicodemus, he had a large body of knowledge. But when Jesus met with him, he didn't deal with his knowledge. What did he deal with? He said, I'm here to talk about you being born again. It's not about gathering facts and, and, and knowledge. It's about a surrender of your heart. Faith. He said, that's where John 3.16 comes from. Trust, have belief, have faith. We came from God and we're going back to God, Jesus said. I've come from the Father. I'm going back to the Father. Jesus said in John 17, he said, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, 
and me, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent into the world. I mean, if you want to define eternal life, sometimes in our world, we define eternal life as heaven. And ultimately it is. But oh, we're selling ourselves way short if we just think about the afterlife. It's not just about eternal life being the afterlife. Eternal life is designed to start right now where you're at here on earth and go forward from here. Eternal life starts now and never ends. He says, this is eternal life. To know you, the only true God. When you know the Lord, when you love the Lord, eternal life begins. So often today we've sold a, a I call it a fire insurance. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be saved so that when I die, I get to go to heaven. Nothing wrong with that. But oh, that's selling you short. That's a third of the gospel. <laughs> You've got to start believing and trusting now, and it will change not only your eternity, but your current life. That's his plan for us. That's his joy for us. We're going to talk about that too. He desires for us to have faith. It's not about a principle. Some people will tell you that. Oh, religion is just about principles. No, it's about a person. It's about a person. It's about Jesus Life is not just a duration, length. It's a quality, a quality of trust and a quality of heart. Notice the key word here. He says that you may have fellowship. When I was a kid, I learned this. What is fellowship? Thinking, think, thinking about two fellows in a ship. Okay, two fellows in the same boat. <laughs> You got to get along. You got to have fellowship. You're in the common experience. You know, fellowship. I know that's pretty lame, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You're in the same boat. Second Peter said, we are partakers of the divine nature. And that word partakers is the same word for fellowship. We are partakers together of the divine relationship, of the divine um, covenant that we have in and with Jesus, his divine nature. See, he never meant for us to live a solitary life. He designed for us to live a life in community. You are not made to be some in, in some monastery off, oh, I'm so holy because no one ever comes around me and I don't have any temptation. <laughs> Find that in the Bible. You know, Jesus went occasionally out to the desert. He went away, you know, but he dwelt with people. He loved on people. There is no scriptural warrant for hiding off in a cave somewhere. People misunderstand that. And you can find some benefit by occasionally getting off on your own, especially in our highly <laughs> uh, mobile and, and crazy society, chaos-born society. It's good to get alone with God, but don't live there. You know, here he says, we have fellowship. He says, we proclaim to you, and we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. We're telling you all of this so that it's not just here, it's here. He desires all to come to repentance. He desires all to have fellowship. We're all to be in community and loving him. Wait, one more. <laughs> have you noticed the familial terminology 
if it's here. What's he say? The Father and the Son. And what do we say around here? Brother and sister. You know, we are, according to Scripture, a family. We all have a common father. We all have a common elder brother, Jesus. And we all have each other in common. Brad and Barb could come back from Georgia and the brother-sister relationship never stopped, never will stop. It's the same, and it's going to last till eternity as well. Woo-hoo! Yeah. You may look at me and say, I'm not sure I want him as a brother. <laughs> and I may do the same, you know, you know. Hey, what are you raising your hand for? Uh, but that's the way family is. You don't get to choose your family. We are family because we choose God. We're family because we choose Jesus Christ. And guess what? We get and have to put up with each other. Okay? Okay? That is the way it is. Wow. I'm just going to go on. Last one. Not only expound the word of life, but enjoy. Now, I had to include this because my mom's here. My mom never gets to be here. My mom, 86 years old. <laughs> Show me your mask, mom. It, her favorite word, her favorite concept joy. is joy. <laughs> but hey, it pops out from the text. I didn't bend the text to, to do this. But I thought, why don't we spend the last few minutes talking about joy? Because it says, we write this to make our joy complete. And I don't think he just means our as in the writer of the, new, of the book. I think he means our, inclusively, to make our joy complete. Oh, do you think about joy at all? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. when He doesn't want us to live with gloom and doom and just wait for eternity. No. Wait for eternity. It's going to be even better. But he desires for us to be so radically changed and, 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 and divinely changed now that we get complete joy. We enjoy the word of life. Are you catching that? Two, two verses to throw out here just to start with, okay? It says this in, in John 15, 11. These things I write, I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and your joy may remain full, may be full. That was Jesus' own words in John 15. He says that my joy may remain in you. Don't you like the way the, the chosen portrays Jesus as a joyful dude, as a humorous character, as someone who understands the things he's saying about a log in your eye and a speck in, you know, Someone else's. I mean, he says a lot of funny things. And they take the license to say, let's have some levity here because Jesus says about himself, his joy is to remain in us. Do you have the joy of the Lord? Do you have the joy of Christ? Do you have the joy that Jesus brings? One more, this is John 16. I, I, could, I could list a lot up here, but it says, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, what? That your joy may be full. So even our prayer life, 
Even the fact that we can tap into the very power and essence of God and his will in our lives should bring us joy. He says that your joy may be made full, complete. I am so tired of believers running around as down and outers, as discouraged and and downtrodden. Oh, brothers and sisters, there is no reason for that. There's time for solemnity and there's time for solemnness, but most of our equation should be the fullness of joy, the enjoyment of God and allowing his love and leadership to abide in us. How many more people would we lead to Christ if they saw the joy of the Lord in our lives? How much more winsome would we be if instead of, oh no, he's a real serious dude, he's really, he's really into it, you know? No, he's into it. He loves God and it shows it, it, it exudes from every cell in his body. What if we, let's tear this apart and go, go through these real quick because we're out of time. Enjoy your salvation. The Bible says, restore to me the joy. I said, you know what this is? This is David when he had sinned with Bathsheba and then realized it. He said, please, Lord, I've been out of fellowship with you. Would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? Renew a right spirit within me. The joy of God is the God of my salvation. Enjoy salvation. Enjoy the word of God. We're talking about the incarnate word of God in Jesus, but enjoy, enjoy the word of God. Thy words were found and I did eat them. <laughs> and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I had a blast reading your word, God. It wasn't a, oh no, I gotta read the Bible again. It was, oh God, show me your heart. The joy and rejoicing of my heart comes from the word of God. I mean, think about it for a minute. God has communicated his love in his heart. How can, it's a love letter to us. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's a bunch of love. His strength. Enjoy the scriptures and enjoy his strength. Weakness versus strength. Uh, Nehemiah, he's building the wall around the Jerusalem. He's building the wall around Jerusalem. And he says it this way, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't depend on your own strength. Let the joy of God be your strength. You got a heavy task? You got something you're, you're having a hard time doing? You got something that you say in human terms, it's impossible? Let God's strength, let God's power come out of the joy you have in him. It happened in Nehemiah's time and it can happen in you and me today. Let his strength be the abiding force. I put it this way, enjoy serving. Enjoy serving. You're gonna serve somebody. Who is it that you're serving? 90% of the time people are serving themselves. That's the default mode, selfishness. I'm encouraging you. Your joy is going to be directly related to getting out of serving yourself. Don't serve yourself like everybody else. Serve the Lord. When you serve the Lord, joy will abound in your life. (laughs) Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with things. Serve the Lord with gladness. Let me list this one. Enjoy the spirit. 
What does the Bible say about joy? It is one of the fruit of the Spirit. I'd say it this way. If you don't have the the joy in your life, you're missing out on the spiritual fruit that God wants to produce in you and through you. Joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Notice it's right at the beginning of the list. Love, joy. They go right together. Thessalonians says, we or you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. You can tell the Spirit's presence in your life and whether or not you have a joy-filled face, whether you have joy in your heart. It doesn't mean you fake it. No, just the opposite. It means it so resonates from within. You can't hold it in. It's impossible to keep that smile off your face. You almost get cramps because the joy is so intense and so long. I mean, just to hear you guys laugh, that is so good. Laugh is therapeutic. Joy is one of God's great gifts. Okay, let's talk about soul winning. Enjoy leading others to a love relationship with God. Proverbs says it this way, he who wins souls is wise. I mean, why? Well, because this world is going to end. <laughs> Let's win souls for another world as well. And this world needs people to be brought to a faith in Christ so that they also have joy. You're wise when you bring people into a relationship with God because it'll change their now and their eternity. It'll change the future as well as the present. Two more. Enjoy suffering. Oh, brother, did I have to bring that up? How do we um, coordinate? How do we connect joy and suffering? Well, the biblical pattern is really clear. And James is one of the best to put it in. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. When you encounter or fall into various kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So you even find joy in suffering. That's crazy. That's godly. That's his plan for us. In Acts, it says, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame in his name. God, give us the privilege of suffering for you. Last one. It's like soul winning, but a little bit different. Enjoy sharing. Just like the apostle said, we proclaim, we declare, we expound, we give out the word of God. Share, share, share the love that comes from him. It says in 1 John 1, 4, and these things we write that your joy or our joy may be full. Are you excited to tell others about the love, the grace, the mercy, and joy of the Lord? So what if we take time to examine the word of life, how it affects us? What if we take time to expound the word of life? And what if we take time, starting today, even more than ever, to enjoy, enjoy the word of life? Let's stand together and pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us your word this morning, the, the word of life for every one of us. Heavenly Father, we just take time right now to thank you for the gifts that you've given us in Jesus, to dedicate ourselves anew to examining, exploring, to take some, some time and expound upon and just to enjoy, sheerly enjoy the gift you've given us of Jesus. Lord, build in us brand new joy because of your love. Build in us your Holy Spirit's strength and power like never before. Father, would you take this time of challenge that we're going through as a community, as a, as a, a state, as a nation, as a world, would you use even the tough challenging times to bring about an understanding of you in the midst of it. Lord, show your sovereign leadership just like you did in Jesus. Make us both human and divine. <laughs> Let us have a taste of who you are. Partake in your divine nature as fully human. We love you, Lord. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.